Hey, y'all, and welcome to this week's Pain in the Pod. This week was so exciting for me because I got to talk to Javier Leva and John Taylor of the new podcast, Criminal Conduct. Now, most people know Javier from his very, very, very fabulous podcast, Pretend. And you may know John Taylor from his amazing podcast, Twisted. But the two of them got together and investigated this cold case, basically two cold cases of a murder and then another murder that happened 10 years later that is probably connected to the first murder because victim number two was investigating the murder of victim number one. It's a lot of twists and turns and it's really interesting. And I always love talking to Javier and I loved meeting John. Now, that's who you're going to hear on the podcast this week. But I want to do a quick shout out to my new people over there on Patreon. And that is Megan, Paula, Sarah, and Christy Marie. I appreciate you guys so much joining over there on Patreon. You get um, bonus episodes. And listen, there's even an interview over there with my mother and my sisters from the South. So that's uh, fun to listen to, at least for me, I found it amusing. So take a listen to this week's episode about criminal conduct with Javier and John, and then head on over to Patreon if you want to join. And thanks to everyone that has joined. Patreon.com slash pain in the pod. Thanks, y'all. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today, I'm so excited to talk to Javier Leva and John Taylor of the new podcast, Criminal Conduct. Okay. Now, you may remember I talked to Javier before from his other podcast, Pretend Radio, and his co-host, John Taylor, hosts a podcast called Twisted. So these are two amazing veteran podcasters. Now, I've gotten to hear two episodes of this podcast, but I'm totally hooked. I have a million questions for these guys, and I'm so glad they both got to join me. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Javier, your voice is very recognizable to my listeners, for sure. Somebody said the other day, and you posted on your social media, that somebody <laughs> said you sounded like, what? Ray Romano? What did they say? On muscle relaxers or something yeah. like that, or, <laughs> which is hysterical because it's totally true. So <laughs> I was like, that's it. It's a little Ray Romano in there with Javier's voice. I love it. Okay. All right. That's just an aside. Now, the podcast itself, Criminal Conduct, it covers a case of this girl, Michelle O'Connell, who was murdered, but they said it was a suicide. And then this other person comes in, Eli Wash Wash Talk, right? Wash Talk. It's I always want to say Wash Tick. Wash Talk. Eli Wash Talk came in and was just like an amateur guy investigating the case, kind of just on his own, right? And he gets in touch with Michelle's mom and and says, "This is what I'm trying to do," and so then he gets killed. So how did Javier and John? I'll direct this at you, Javier. How did you team up with John? How'd you find the case? And then how'd you decide to do the podcast? Yeah. And first of all, the, you know, you described the, the the story. It's basically two stories in one. It's the Michelle story and the Eli story. But Michelle's story, we don't know conclusively if she was killed or if it was a suicide. So that's one of the things that, that John and I are exploring. But in parallel to that, we're also exploring the murder of Eli Washchuk, which that was classified as a homicide and those two stories happened 10 years apart. So it's really interesting. I, I've never heard a podcast that's tried to weave two different uh, death investigations that are happening in parallel, but 10 years apart. Uh, to answer your next question was, how did John and I start this thing? Well, we, we met at a podcast meetup 
here in Raleigh, North Carolina. At the time, it was like maybe three years ago, John has already had Twisted Podcast going. And um, I was what we call pod curious. I <laughs> thought I wanted to have a podcast. Um, I had an idea for a podcast, but as we all know, it's very terrifying to start one. And um, John has seen that relationship kind of that friendship flourish from a guy that had no podcast to a guy that now has two podcasts. <laughs> and I, I'm so glad that we got, that we worked on this together because he, he and I are like one of the only true crime podcasters at that meetup. And we've always wanted to work together. And so this was our excuse to work together. John, how did you hear about the case? Did you hear about it first or who heard about it first? So I wrote about this case. I, I'm also a writer and I wrote an article about this case probably about four or five years ago. Mm. So the case was the Michelle O'Connell case. So it was still evolving at that time, but it was a case that I had been in, introduced to because I was working with a father of a woman who had been killed in similar circumstances. Her boyfriend worked for the police department. They claimed it was a suicide, but the family thought it was a murder. And so I had been working with this father and he told me about this case because uh, obviously the similarities resonated with him. So that's how I became familiar. And it's just something that I had paid attention to over the years, uh, but had never dug into it at the level that we are here with uh, criminal conduct. It's interesting you said that because I just did an interview with the guy who did the podcast, The Officer's Wife. And it's a very <laughs> similar story with the wife of a policeman quote, committing suicide, which she didn't die, but he said she was trying to commit suicide. And then they all just brushed it under the rug because he was a cop. I mean, that's not even the same thing you're talking about, right, John? Uh, I mean, I, I'd say in both cases, but with Michelle O'Connell, it's not that clear. We, we don't know exactly what happened. And um, it's, it's hard to tell because what's a cover-up, it could look like a cover-up, but that can also just be some kind of internal biases or just that they... I mean, the people that were investigating this case initially, they worked with Jeremy Banks, the the deputy who was dating Michelle O'Connell at the time. So they're going into it with him telling them that it's a suicide and with them knowing him. So I think that regardless of any kind of cover up or anything, they're going into it with the idea that they're wanting to believe him. They're wanting to believe that this is a suicide. And I think that's just human nature. So I think you have that regardless of anything nefarious or not. Right. I think that's interesting because uh, along the way in episode one, I think it could be episode two, where we hear the audio of the press conference from the sheriff, David Shore, and he has Jeremy Banks, the deputy sheriff there with him saying, you know, this man has been accused of something. He didn't do it. You know, he came this close to being accused and he's very, very passionate about it. And that relationship was described like father, son, but it seems to me, it seems so biased. Like, of course, if the sheriff feels that strongly about this guy, like he's his son, he's not going to investigate it properly. Did you, I mean, did you find that? So, I mean, their investigation, the St. John's County Sheriff's Office, I felt like it was very lackluster. It is, it's hard for me to make a, an assessment because I can't get into their mind unless they tell me necessarily as to whether it was intentional or not. There have been people who have claimed that they were told not to investigate, not to pursue leads in this case. Uh, so that is a possibility. But there's also just that that idea that they believed it was a suicide, so they did not treat it as a homicide, which is improper. You should treat all in-death investigations as a homicide until you prove otherwise. 
Uh, and so they did not do that. So there certainly were many things that the first investigative body failed to do in this case that that did not look good. John, tell me your background with the with the justice system. So I'm currently a private investigator licensed here in, in North Carolina. And previously, I worked as an agent with the U.S. Secret Service. Oh, OK. Well, then we'd say you're qualified. <laughs> and John and I, I don't know if you have noticed, but we have radically different styles. And so that was one of the things that we were curious about when we started this project was, how is this going to work together? But now after listening to a, a few episodes, I think it works really nicely, actually. It's a good balance. Yeah, you got yeah. Ray I mean... Romano on Quaaludes <laughs> and, and you got <laughs> like, a, like a super badass private investigator. That's uh yeah you're right and I think that sometimes you don't know how teaming uh two people that are very uh, different in style is going to work but from what I've heard I think it sounds great I think that Javier you kind of take on the role of the narrator and then you're like well let me check in with John you know what does John have to say and then John's a little more uh the facts only ma'am kind of yeah yeah. Oh God, like I have a million questions for you. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a little break and then I'm going to come back with my million questions. And I'll be right back with Javier and John of Criminal Conduct. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, I'm back with Javier and John of the new podcast, Criminal Conduct. Okay, like I said, I have a million questions. So... You start the podcast off with this 911 call. Okay, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. And what a way to start it off because you you play it kind of again throughout the podcast because John sort of breaks it down. Like, first of all, he said this, things that, you know, just I would have never thought of, but it's so true. Like he's saying, you know, please, please, please. He's using a lot of extra words. But the weirdest thing, and I, this is not a spoiler because this is the first thing you hear even on the trailer, is that the person making the call is Jeremy Banks. And he is saying in a very high pitched, sounds like a hysterical female kind of voice. Like you have to come, you have to come. Uh, yeah, my, my girlfriend's killed herself. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, and then they're like, ma'am, ma'am, we need to calm down. And he quickly goes from hysterical sounding female to, okay, look, here's the truth. This is a, this is me. I'm a sir. I'm a deputy sheriff. You know, it's so creepy. It's like a, like a creepy, creepy horror movie, the way he just sort of changes his voice like that. And I know that you guys go into it, but are we going to get more information about why he did that? Oh, yeah. In fact, um, <clears throat> so it was an interesting decision, creative decision that we made, right? Because most stories start at the beginning and finish at the end. But what we wanted to do was start with the most compelling piece of material that we had. And that's that 911 call. Whether he committed murder or is reporting a suicide, either way. That is the most dramatic 911 call you'll probably ever hear. And the most dramatic shift in tone, just like you described. He sounds like a hysterical female, very high-pitched voice. And then when he was threatened, his ego was threatened, he switches back to this authoritative, you know, 
call me sir. Do you know, you know, I work, I'm a sheriff. It was just such a dramatic shift. And we thought that's the place to start the show. And hopefully that was the right decision. It is. And and I wonder, like, did he mean to do that? Did he plan to do that? Or it was fly by the seat of his pants. He meant to sound like a hysterical female, but then he was like, all right, they're not getting it. Let me change. So, you know, we have a lot of police audio because we've gotten a lot of the records uh, from the sheriff's office. And Mm -hmm. in episode five, the whole episode is him pretty much trying to explain that that bizarre 911 call and trying to explain his actions, his inactions. So we really it's it's a real big character study of Jeremy Banks and what motivates him. You know, why did he do what he did? You know, like he knows these people. These are his co-workers. Why is he putting on an act for them? Why not say, hey, Cindy or Bob, come to my house. It's Jeremy, you know, my girlfriend. She's in trouble. She needs help. But he never once addressed her by name. He never really attended to her, tried to do CPR. Uh, It was really a big, a big show and not a lot of good information was coming out of that 911 call. Yeah. And John, I liked your take on it where you're like, listen to what, you know, you have, you break it down by listen to what he's saying, but John, you as being somebody in law enforcement, I mean, would Jeremy as a a deputy sheriff in uh, Florida, would he know that too? Like he would have planned it out. Like, here's what we listen for 911 calls, but then he just went off the rails when the 911 operator was calling him or her. And that's when he got like offended. Yeah, I don't, I mean, Jeremy is just a a deputy sheriff at the time. So he's a patrol officer. So he's not doing investigations. So like part of his job would not be listening to 911 calls. Mm -hmm. So I would just say that at the time, he probably was pretty unfamiliar with what would be important in a 911 call. Um, But at the same time, uh, the fact that he did try to deceive at the beginning of the call is incredibly noteworthy. And um, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to give any uh, total spoilers here, but he wasn't trying to sound like a woman, but he Uh, certainly was trying to deceive. And that is no matter what, however you want to claim that, that he either had nothing to do with her death or directly at least, or that uh, he did kill her either scenario. uh, That's an incredibly telling thing. And it's really hard to rectify in a life or death situation why someone would be trying to deceive a 911 call operator. Right. Okay. So Michelle, from what we hear, was already planning to leave Jeremy, and that had been decided. And it seemed to be without much drama or fanfare, you know, from what you gathered, from what we hear at the beginning of the podcast. She said she's on her way to her sister's house. So how does the sheriff department come to the conclusion right away it was a suicide? Are they going based on Jeremy's word, because it seems like they didn't really look at the scene to see like, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's look at her phone or anything like that. How did they come to that conclusion right away? Well, you know, this is interesting because if you look at Michelle and her physical injuries in isolation, it's I want I don't want to say a clear cut suicide, but she died of an intraoral gunshot wound to the mouth. Hardly, I mean, it's almost impossible for for a, a homicide to occur that way because you would see, you know, a broken jaw, broken teeth. I don't know, but so that that right off the bat, uh, an investigator looking at that could come to that conclusion that it's a homicide, suicide, or sorry, suicide. There were some suspicious text messages that she sent that 
could be read out of context and it could sound like a digital suicide letter. So, I mean, in all fairness, there are some things that if you look at it, it could appear like a suicide. But then you listen to the 911 call and you look at everything else, you widen the aperture and then things don't start making as much sense. Yeah. John, do you want to piggyback on that? Or? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that you 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 got to think about the fact that the people coming to that scene, uh, they know who they're going to see. They know, And they know what Jeremy told the uh, operator. So they're going in with that mindset. Now, it, it would require a pretty uh, in-tuned or diligent investigator to be paying attention, that looking for things that aren't lining up with what they were originally told. And I think some of them did pick up on that. But you have that over overarching driving force as to who's in charge, who's making those decisions uh, right there on the scene. So it's not surprising that they pretty quickly came to the conclusion of suicide based on what they were told going in. Um, I mean, that happens in cases where the person is not an officer. Uh, you can really set a pretty strong narrative by what you say in a 911 call, uh, just because that's if it's put out properly, that's the information that goes to dispatch the dispatch conveys to the officers responding to the scene. Now there's it's a lot of cases where those are mis- there's mistakes made. So you'll hear about people like an innocent person being shot where they got wrong information given out to the patrol officers. But if it's given out properly, that 911 call can set a pretty strong narrative. That's hard to undo until the investigation is really deep into it. Okay. So we, basically in my mind, we have two murders here assuming Michelle is a murderer, and then we have Eli Washtock. I think I didn't realize now that we're talking that these two things were 10 years apart. I guess I was thinking the Eli murder came within a couple of years of Michelle's murder. I didn't realize it was fully 10 years apart. So Eli Washtock is just this amateur detective who takes an interest in the case, gets in touch with Michelle's mom. We have this binder that's now missing. We have, you know, his phone that's now, you know, with the sheriff's department, all this stuff. But so he was quite a loner and you couldn't find in this day and age, any social media digital footprint on him, which was fascinating that you couldn't even like type it in. And then you find out some other things about him that you type in other names and things, and that doesn't pop up either. So as the podcast moves on, do we learn more and more about him as a person? Cause I'm fascinated by him. Yeah, we are too, even till today. I mean, John just flew out last weekend to Wisconsin to meet with his family and and friends. And even still, even after we've been working on this for almost a year now, we're still fascinated by this Eli character because he kept to himself and didn't really have a lot of friends. But we've been working really hard to just find out as much information as possible from him, who was financing uh, how was he financing this investigation? Because it costs a lot of money to hire lawyers, private investigators, uh, forensic scientists, you know, like that stuff's not cheap, but he's also a body shop mechanic, which, you know, how, how did he afford the place where he lived? And there's so many mysteries about Eli that we're still trying to unravel. So he was in touch with Patty, who was Michelle's mom, and the two of them went together to a lawyer to talk. Now, what was the purpose of that visit to see if they had enough information to reopen this? What was the purpose of that visit where they went together with that binder? Yeah, it looked like that what they were trying to do is they were trying to figure out what kind of legal course of action they could take if they found the right evidence and like what what would be the best venue. So they were looking for a lawyer to advise them on what they could actually do. 
Um, that didn't work out, but it was one of many things that Eli was considering as far as this uh, personally financed investigation that he was doing. He was just looking at all av- avenues as far as what can I do to, because he, he believed that Michelle was killed or murdered. You know, what can I do to get justice for Michelle, I think is what Eli was really trying to do here. We have no evidence that he knew Michelle before. He did not know her. At all. Mm-hmm. So, okay. He just got interested in the case like you guys did, like, you know, and decided to investigate it. So he so he said he had a uh, safe deposit box that had all the information that was in his binder. And later on, you talked to another guy, uh, Ed, who also spoke of all the information that he had. He, he said it was a notebook, but binder, whatever. So you said that the, not the St. John's, but the, the other police department that took up Putnam County, Putnam County, that they ended up getting a safe deposit box in his phone and all right. that. So, so yeah, I think um, just to give your audience some context, yes, please. St. John's County is the County where Michelle and Eli lived. It's the County that um, St. Augustine is and. And so when Michelle died, St. John's County was the one that investigated that case. When Eli died, St. John's County learned that that Eli Washtock was looking into the Michelle O'Connell investigation and they recused themselves from the case and they passed it on to a neighboring county, a much smaller county called Putnam County to investigate Eli's murder. So I just wanted to add that context because I know that we're getting into like a lot of specifics, but just so Mm -hmm. people that didn't know the story. Yeah. uh, Yes. So that's what I have here. So Putnam County has said very little officially and they have not given you any information. No. No. It's it's an open investigation into Eli's murder. Yeah. and, And because it's an open investigation, things that we could normally request, like a autopsy report, uh, police report, very basic things we cannot request because it's part of this ongoing investigation. So a lot of the evidence that Eli collected in that binder, we have to presume that it's in the hands of, of the detectives in Putnam County. But I think the part of the show that, you know, part of this show and the mission that we're trying to do is rebuild that binder somehow, right? Like oh, trying yeah. to follow follow all the the avenues that Eli was exploring. And so we don't know if by the end of this podcast, we'll have the binder reconstructed, <laughs> but uh, we have definitely spoken to a lot of the people that Eli hired. And we, we have a pretty good idea of where he was going with the investigation. Do we find that out at the end <laughs> of criminal <laughs> conduct? John, you want to take that one? <laughs> Do we find out where he was heading? Well, no. Yeah. The, so there is a... Okay, so supposedly Eli had a bombshell, right? Okay. Right before he died. He had some sort of evidence that he thought was going to be so compelling that was really going to change the course of the Michelle O'Connell investigation. And not not to give you any spoilers, but we do have uh, what we believe is, you know, that bombshell, quote unquote, um, that Eli was working on and information that he probably he he definitely didn't have when he died. So we we know this now. Oh, OK. All right. Well, because it seems to me. And so, again, the players get a little I have them all written down here. So Michelle O'Connell dies. Her boyfriend is Jeremy. Eli then starts investigating. Okay. Eli is watching Jeremy and Jeremy is watching Eli is what it seems like. 
we know that we know that they had an encounter. So yeah, that they had an encounter, and Eli is telling people that you know, don't worry. I know that he's watching me, and something big's going to happen. Don't worry. But let me ask you this: It is revealed in the first two episodes that he had rented a condo in his same building two floors below for his young children to stay in because he was fearful something was going to happen to him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now what can you tell me the ages of his kids when he did this? Cause like I'm a mom of teenagers. I would never allow him to be in a condo alone. God knows what they do. Yeah. So he only had his one son was living with him at the time. Okay. So he was, who was living in the other condo and he was 15. Okay. But now did that, I mean, that strikes me as it's very strange. It is very yes, it odd. Is. I mean, just to remind the listeners, this Eli Washtock character, he's a, a private investor, you know, like a like an amateur sleuth, right? He's works at a body shop. He's hiring all these investigators, all these experts. And he lives in a really nice condo in St. Augustine. And then he supposedly rented another condo for his son to protect him. Uh, but, he's a, but he's a car mechanic is what it, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That made zero sense to us because that just sounds really expensive. And it also doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but boy, we went down some rabbit holes. <laughs> About Eli's uh, finances? Second condo. Yeah. And that condo. That, okay. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Okay. We have some conclusions to that. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right. I really do sort of judge a podcast by like right at the beginning if if I'm going to be like, all right, now I want to know what happens or like, all right, I could probably figure this out. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, even now that I've heard two episodes, I'm I'm not necessarily confused because you guys lay it out beautifully about who everybody is. So I'm not confused, but I'm just I'm fascinated. And it's it's like the Michelle O'Connell death is one thing that's terrible. But now I'm more fascinated by this Eli guy who is investigating that. And like, why? Where is he getting the money? And I hadn't really thought too much about the money until you were saying it. I was like, oh, well, he's just like a guy like me who's just interested in true crime. But he did have to put some resources into this. And time. Yeah, time. And he's a dad. Yeah, I mean, you hit you you nailed it. I mean, the Michelle O'Connell story is a ten year old story, and we originally set out to do this podcast just to do the Michelle O'Connell story. We had no idea that Eli Washtock existed or that really? he was looking into this. Absolutely, we. This was a story that John worked on on Twisted, and we just wanted to see if we could bring more attention to it because we thought it had a lot of layers, but um, it deserved to be talked about some more. It's been covered before by the New York Times, PBS, um, Dr. Phil, I don't know, a bunch of media outlets, but we felt like it was still not explored as deep as we we thought we could do um, justice to the story. But then we learned about the Eli angle, and that changed everything because he is so fascinating for so many reasons. And um, to keep my attention for months and months and months, and I'm still intrigued by the story, is is kind of amazing. Well, John says on the podcast that, you know, you can't be completely sure that these two deaths are tied together, that somebody killed Eli because what he was uncovering about Michelle's death and the whole like he's watching Jeremy, but Jeremy's watching him and all that. So, John, why do you come to that conclusion when for like me as a listener, my conclusion right away is he was killed because of what he knew. But you say on the podcast, no, you can't just draw that straight line. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that, you're more in like the fictional story kind of line there. Like that would make sense. That'd make a great fictional book. That right. that would have to tie together. But in in real life, I mean, one, you got to follow the evidence. But two is that your most likely perpetrators in any homicide are the people closest to the victim. So you got to start there and work your way out. You can't just assume because he's working on an investigation, one that so many people have looked into. But just because he's looking into it doesn't mean that somebody went to the lengths of murdering him because he was looking into it or because he may have found something. That's a it's a pretty bold conclusion. And it's also one of those things that in real life, very few people would commit a murder to cover up a murder or have someone else commit a murder to cover up a murder they did. That just doesn't happen that often. Also, it's a possibility that we cannot rule that out, you know, while we're looking into this. I mean, John and I have our lists of, you know, of who done it, you know? Yeah. And we're not ruling them out, but we're not, you know, like John said, this it's almost too too easy of a conclusion. Well, I think this is why maybe you guys are a good yin and yang for this podcast because, you know, Javier may be coming at it from like where I'm coming from, like, well, okay, let's investigate why they're probably done. And John's coming from a, a, you know, a law enforcement background, like, all right, you know, amateur detectives, it's not so easy. Like, you know, I I think that's great. I think it's, it's a really, really good collaboration because I just assumed right away that the whole podcast would be about how these two murders are intertwined. But now you're telling me no. So what we're saying is Eli we're had other enemies. <laughs> Eli we're had saying, other enemies is what we're finding out. Yeah. Our, our goal for this, right, is to really bring exposure to both these cases because in, in in some respect, they both have stalled out. You know, like no one's really, uh, the Michelle, the, nothing new has come out from the Michelle case and there's still more to be explored. And on the Eli case, nothing has come out. Like as long as this be, remains a homicide, you know, they don't, the investigators don't have to reach a conclusion. It could indefinitely become a homicide. So our goal, as much as we would like to solve this case, is to bring forth new evidence, as much evidence as we can, and hopefully get some interest back on this case so that if something happened on either one of those, it it could be resolved. Wow. And then you're somewhere along the way, we're going to hear this bombshell that's going to just tell well, us everything we need to know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the bombshells is not like this one thing. You know, there there's a lot of new things that we're presenting that, okay. you know, it's very interesting. But bombshell, you know, just to ease people's expectation, it, every little new piece of information that you find when you're investigating something like this feels like a bombshell, right? Because sure. this is is so old, but something, it's not going to be this explosive thing and people are going to go to jail, but, you know, but for sure, it's definitely moving the ball, you know. And the word bombshell is what the term Eli used in describing it. So that's why we use that term is because that was how he described what was coming forward. And Uh, he doesn't know, he didn't know the conclusion of what he anticipated, but now we do. And it is very interesting. I mean, it is very uh, intriguing evidence. How many episodes is this podcast going to be? How long do I have to wait? (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be releasing weekly starting March 23rd, and it's going to be a total of 10 episodes. But then I also told John, I was like, you know, once these things start coming out and we're we're putting out some new things that hopefully, you know, um, causes a reaction and there might be more, but we're only planning on 10. 
Okay. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I am back with Javier and John of the new podcast, Criminal Conduct. So just kind of to wrap this up, let me ask you, is Criminal Conduct going to be a new podcast where you're going to delve into a new case every season or is it a a one-off? Our plan is, I mean, I've got ideas out there for season two and season three. So our plan is to release a new season about once a year and to have a new case every time that's at this time, that's our plan. And that's why we kept the name kind of uh, ambiguous because we wanted, you know, to have the flex to switch. Yeah. To switch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, I've been around long enough. I was like, that's why they didn't put the Michelle and Eli case in the title. Okay. Well, that's very exciting for me too, as a listener. (laughs) Now, what I want to first of all, I, I'm going to get your podcast recommendations, which I usually do at the end, but I want to know uh, for each of you what is next. Like, John, what's next? Are you still doing Twisted? I am. So I'm still putting out two episodes a month with Twisted, and uh, I'm way ahead on that, thank goodness, because criminal conduct takes up a, a huge chunk of my time. So I'm continuing with that and focusing right now on, on criminal conduct and kind of going back and forth between kind of do, doing some PR and getting the word out about it and actually doing the work behind the podcast. Okay. And then Javier, what about pretend? Well, I was working on criminal conduct and pretend uh, at the same time. And I nearly burnt out. I mean, it, yes, yes. Two, two very intense podcasts at the same time. So I, I made the decision to, to uh, put a pretend on hiatus just for, for a little while until I get through criminal conduct and hopefully in the summer pick it back up i already have story ideas planned and um it's my baby so i'm not gonna let go of it i love pretend so and yeah but i'm very excited about criminal conduct and and i'm excited that i I was able to devote so much attention to it it's probably nice to even though it's sort of in the same genre it's nice to take a little mental break from one thing and switch to another even though you know you're gonna come back to it yeah yeah like you said it's your baby all right, so I always ask about podcast recommendations. So, besides criminal conduct coming at you March twenty third, what would you recommend? I'll go first if you want. Um, sure. I just learned about this podcast called Resound. So it's R E colon Sound. Okay. And it's basically the best of podcasts out there. They just take really good stories and put them together. And so it's like, if you're a big podcast fan and you don't want to listen to one podcast in particular, they do a good job of just mixing it up. Um, And I have to say that 
the the case of the missing hit, the episode from uh, Reply All was amazing. If you haven't listened to that, listen to it. It's such a happy episode too, and such a stressful time. So I think you're going to enjoy that from Reply All. Reply All, yeah. the the one about the the missing hit, okay. the case of the missing hit. Okay, listen to that now. It is amazing, and of course, you know if you like pretend. Um, you might like mugshot or swindled or, you know, those are also white collar crime shows. Yes. Mugshots. I haven't heard of mugshot. I've definitely heard of swindled. Oh yeah. You should have Lindsay on your show. She's great. Mugshot. Okay. What about you, John? Well, I say the first thing I would, first one I'd recommend is uh, in the dark podcast uh, episode or season two. Um, And I think that is the gold standard for episodic true crime podcasts. It is, Absolutely just a phenomenal job that they did. Uh, And then along those lines, I would also recommend what started all off, and that's uh, season one of uh, Serial. I would say that, uh, you know, that one is, that's just like you watch that or listen to that so that you can see where it all began. And then somewhat outside of the true crime genre, but still there, I would say I recently listened to The Shrink Next Door. Oh, I, thought, I love it. I thought they did a really good job with that. That was a very interesting, uh, frustrating, but compelling podcast. You know, they're making that into a movie and Alec Baldwin is playing the shrink. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, that's, that's now I just heard that, but I'll say it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the dark season two is about Mississippi and I'm from Mississippi. So it's, um, it's pretty interesting how some people feel super strongly that, he did it and this is crazy. And then some people are like, yay, somebody like dug into it and going to really find out what happened, you know? Um, and, and I, and I really like when they, you know, these girls will like knock on the doors of these sweet little Mississippi people. And they're like, Nope, don't want to talk to you. I'm like, Oh, okay. Thank you. Door slam. It's a, it's a, gr- that's a great podcast. Yeah. I agree with Javier. The, uh, the women that are kind of the front and center of that podcast, they come across their voices sound meek. They're mm-hmm. pit bulls. They're not, those are not women you want to mess with. They are great yeah. interviewers. They ask incredibly probing questions yep. and they may come across as sweet, but they know what they're doing. They're oh, really yeah. on. The they, when they grilled that DA, that was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, well, we're just going to come on in. And they uh, they do great with, with uh, I think, the people of Mississippi and that they come across as very sweet. And, and, you know, the Southerners are all about the manners and they come across with great manners. And, you know, a lot of Southerners will be like, well, there's people from New York. And, you know, they they do a great job of integrating into the culture there and having wonderful manners and appearing very sweet. But like you're saying, at the same time, asking the right questions. I, uh, I think that that, yes, I, I would completely agree with you on that. I, um, every time there's like, I'm just a little blurb comes up in my feed of an update. I'm like, Oh, yay. Um, and I, and I'm very glad that they got basically put Curtis flowers in like a witness protection. They basically moved him out. I thought that was like a, a brilliant move on the, um, whoever did it, the lawyer. Yeah. It's just an ongoing story and just really fascinating. 
Okay, so tell, I want all my listeners to know that I've listened to more of Criminal Conduct than you probably have at this point. I, I got some previews and it's incredible. And I'm only into the end of episode two and I cannot wait. That's why I'm asking how many episodes it is because I'm really dying to know. So I, I really want everyone to go and listen to Criminal Conduct. Go ahead and subscribe because if they're going to put out new seasons, those are going to be great as well. So tell everyone where they can find out more about Criminal Conduct and uh, the two of you as well. Yeah, so you could find us anywhere you get your podcast. So just type in criminal conduct. But if on social, I think Twitter and Instagram, we're at criminal con. So C O N at the end. And on Facebook, I think we're at criminal conduct. And our website is criminalconduct.net. Criminalconduct.net. Don't you hate that all the things you always have to make them like a little bit different because somebody took. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was diet. very irritating. But, you know, a uh, funny little story about the show. We released the trailer at the end of January, but it was basically February. But just to let people know what we were doing and generate some excitement. And we have gotten so many bad reviews. <laughs> From the trailer? No, because they want to listen to the podcast like now. It's uh, like these people have never been to the movies and like seen a trailer <laughs> before. <laughs> and so we every we keep getting one star review. When is it going to come out? I want to listen to it. When is it going? I'm like, don't leave one star reviews. Just say, shoot us a, a tweet or an Instagram. We could answer that. Yeah, but, they uh, leave that one star review yeah. that people don't quite understand. That like drags. I know, but but it's a one star review because they they like the trailer so much that they so, want more. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> really defeating the purpose. It doesn't make sense, but they're they're doing it with good intention. So, but we have now caved to their pressure, and we will release the show on March twenty third, and hopefully for all of you listening to it, you could give us a five star review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, Yes, because yeah. you can't go back in and change it once you put that one star. It's there forever. <laughs> okay, well, that's amazing. Listen, I know that you guys are both very busy. You've got each now. You've each got two podcasts and your and you know jobs and all that. So I appreciate very very much you talking to me today, and um, I'm just excited. I'm like I'm like super pumped. So keep me posted on how it's going, and then I'm going to be like emailing you when the new information comes out to say like why didn't you tell me. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys very much. And I um, can't wait to hear more. Thank All you. Right. Mary Thank Payne. you.